The following Dharma Talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota as part of the weekly Dharma series. So the topic I picked was mindfulness of the body. Um, I thought it, it would be useful for whoever might show up because it's really central to the Buddhist teachings and um, yeah, really can carry us through from the very beginning uh, all the way to um, awakening. And the Buddha um, highlighted the importance of mindfulness of the body um, in a lot of different ways. And one way is that it's the first in this list of four um, areas that we are encouraged to be mindful. Um, this is from a famous talk that the Buddha gave um, usually called the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, but uh, Four Establishments of Mindfulness is, uh, I think, a better translation um, because it's where we establish, where we sort of put our mindfulness. Um, And so the body is the first one, and the second one is feeling tone, which is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. So the idea is that every experience that we have, the mind has the capacity and tends to categorize it. This is pleasant, this is unpleasant, or this is neutral. And that's really relevant because so much of our mental activity is based on that sort of most basic interpretation. If it's pleasant, if it's pleasant, we tend to want to hold on to it or think about how we can make the most of it unpleasant, we tend to push it away, and neutral, we tend to ignore it. So that's the second establishment. The third is the mind, so mindfulness of the mind and mind states. And the fourth is um, sometimes called mental qualities, but it's really discerning whether the activity of the mind is leading in a good or bad direction, leading towards um, creating stress or releasing stress. And so the interesting thing is that mindfulness of the body is the first one. We can practice all four while being mindful of the body. And so that's sort of what I was pointing to in the guided meditation was this whole body awareness. It doesn't have to be a uh, focused attention on any particular area of the body, although that's a meditation technique that is taught um, but according to one of my teachers, Ajahn Suchitto, the Buddha never, in, in, the, in the Buddha's teachings, um, never gave that instruction. Um, so even mindfulness of breathing, which often is taught, you know, focusing on one particular point or feeling the breath coming in and out of the nostrils, which again, I've practiced that way and found it useful, so it's not to say that we shouldn't practice that way. But another way um, which has benefits is to practice even mindfulness of breathing as a whole body practice. So feeling the energy of the breath moving throughout the whole body. But in any case, um, the benefit of really establishing mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of the whole body as a foundation is that it has, the body has these connections, as I'm sure we all recognize, with 
our mind and with our moods and emotions. So to stay throughout the day, you know, this is something we could practice in daily life as well as on a meditation retreat to just keep that uh, thread of whole body awareness as much as possible throughout our day can really be a support for staying present and it can include these other establishments of mindfulness. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll sense in the body when we uh, feel something pleasant, unpleasant or neutral, we'll feel the reaction. And with mind states, you know, so many of our mind states all have a corollary in the body. So, you know, when we're angry, we tend, the energy tends to rush up into our head if we're tired or, um, yeah, despondent, you know, we'll feel that in the body. The body feels heavy. So it's really um, a gateway into being in our, in our own experience. And same with the fourth foundation. We can sense, you know, what direction our mind states are leading. If they're leading in the direction of more ease and freedom, peace, we can feel that in the body. And if they're leading in the direction of agitation and stress, we can also feel that in the body, feeling tight, wound up. So I think this is... um, I think it's a really helpful and accessible place to keep coming back to in our mindfulness practice. And and like I said, really applicable in daily life and on meditation retreats or during our formal practice, uh, this whole body awareness that can include whatever else we're aware of. So it's not, doesn't have to exclude anything, but as we're aware of whatever we're doing, you know, in daily life or as we're aware of thinking or an emotion, to have that within the container of whole body awareness can really keep us grounded, keep us in the present moment, keep us from getting spun out in um, mental proliferation, getting lost in our thought, which is where we tend to create a lot of problems and um, when we're not aware, our thinking can really, yeah, take us in any direction. That's the power of the mind. And so to just have this establishment of mindfulness of the body, uh, we often use the word anchor in mindfulness circles. And it has that, that sense of something grounded, something present that keeps us connected, keeps us from getting too far away from our life, really. Because our life, like I was saying in the guided meditation, is always happening here and now. You know, even if we're talking about things, other places, other times, all of that is felt and registered here and now. Those impressions of whatever we're talking about, the energy of that, you know, any emotional quality, excitement, or distaste, whatever it might be, is something happening here and now. And to stay connected to that, we don't have to exclude you know, the thinking mind or the emoting heart. We're just remembering that it's something happening here and now. And that really is the context 
where wisdom can arise, where we can have that reflective awareness that knows, oh, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I'm feeling, and this is how it's affecting me. And that, um, yeah, that's really the basis for the deepening of understanding. It's just that simple present moment awareness. And especially when there's continuity of that, it just strengthens that awareness and deepens it. And this is even true in daily life. Um, doesn't have to be on a meditation retreat, but just that sustained interest in our experience over a period of time can really, there can be a momentum of mindfulness that develops and we just start to notice more. Um, one of my teachers, Andrea Fella, she's out in the Bay Area, um, but she talks about this when she first started practicing um, mindfulness. It was mostly in daily life, um, and, but she just really had this interest and just, oh, there's this option of being aware, being aware of my experience. And she was uh, interested in it in particular because she was, she was really having um, trouble with anger, a lot of anger coming up in her experience. And um, she tells the story of, and there, was, you, there would be certain patterns, certain memories that would arise and trigger the anger and she would just get swept away by it. Um, but she was practicing mindfulness, beginning to practice, and she tells a story of just in her kitchen, cutting an apple, and just mindfulness was present. Um, and she, she noticed, I'm not going to remember all the details, but basically she noticed the mind about to think the thought and go down that very familiar pattern into anger. And all, and just on its own, the mind realized, you know, I don't want to do that. That way leads to suffering. And so this is something that she didn't do, but just through that awareness, having seen mindfulness, having seen that and catching it in that moment, wisdom, when wisdom sees... <laughs> sees how we create our own stress and suffering, uh, it lets go. And this is something that takes uh, practice to trust, but it's really, um, yeah, it's really the reason that the Buddha taught mindfulness is that when the mind is aware in that balanced present moment way, it gives the opportunity for wisdom to connect the dots, to see, oh, to make those connections um, cause and effect. You know, when, the, when this happens, that happens. When the mind reflects, dwells in this way, it leads to that. And this might be something that we can understand intellectually, but it's different when the mind, when awareness, when wisdom sees that in the moment, Wisdom lets go. And so this is really the reason that we practice mindfulness. It's not just to be in the moment, although that has its own benefits of, um, you know, there's just less stress when we're in the present moment. There's a kind of joy that's inherent in being in the present moment. But also it's the 
uh, it's a supporting condition for the mind, for wisdom, to make these connections. When, we're, when there's a continuity of, of awareness, we start to see just how the mind, just the nature of the mind, the nature of the conditioned mind, how it works. Um, and we learn. We learn about ourselves on really, um, on all sorts of levels. You know, you can't really sit and be aware without learning <laughs> something, even if it's just learning, you know, the places your mind tends to go, the conditioning of your mind. And uh, and it's in seeing that, that we then have the opportunity to have some choice, have some perspective on the conditioning of the mind. So that's the promise that there's freedom from any um, habitual patterns of the mind that don't serve us, that lead to stress, um, lead to familiar ways of relating. And um, yeah, just to relate to things in a new way can be so liberating, you know, even if it's not even. You know, we have super toxic mental patterns or anything, but just the monotony <laughs> of our stories and our patterns. And, you know, you pro- we probably all know that experience when life feels more fresh. And it can even just be because of mindfulness. Just, you know, we were just talking with Joe about that uh, the joy that can come from a, a snowstorm. And for me, it sort of captures that feeling of, you know, it snows and your neighborhood or wherever, it all looks different. It all looks fresh. You know, it's, it's the same, but it's different. And that's sort of the flavor of mindfulness. It's the same, you know, but there's a freshness because we're, we're awake to it. And we're seeing that what makes things feel monotonous or the same, boring in any way, familiar even, is just the mind's overlay of our concepts on it. Oh yeah, I already know. You know my friend, my partner, I already know. So I don't need to show up in a fresh way. <laughs> There's a, a quote about this. I think I have it. Or... I don't have it, but I, I remember it more or less. It's a famous quote, and I think is is poignant and, and inspiring at the same time. That um, those who practice uh, mindfulness, I'm just paraphrasing here, but it's basically those who practice mindfulness are um, are as if they're, they're they're that's the way to be alive, and those who are practicing. Um, not practicing mindfulness are as if already dead. And, you know, we probably can get a, a taste for that. So this is, this is the promise of just this very ordinary capacity that we have to be aware um, 
when we're, when we're recognizing it, remembering to recognize it, to be interested in it, to give it the time and space to present itself or to bloom, you know, to pause, check in, how's the body, how's the mind? You know, one way that we can get a sense of, of this, of the value of mindfulness, is just to ask, um, what's the difference between being aware and not being aware? Because it takes some practice, and even for experienced meditators, I think a lot of us, we're still in this uh, exploration of what really is mindfulness, what is awareness? But to ask that question, what's the difference between being aware and not being aware, the mind that's aware and the mind that's lost in thought? And we'll, we'll see that there's some truth to that statement that it's as if we're already dead because when we're not aware, we, we don't know what's happening. <laughs> and we might be thinking and, and then, you know, wake up, become aware, mindfulness turns on at some point and we realize we, we've just spent, you know, however many minutes lost in thought. And while we were lost in thought, we didn't know we were lost in thought. So it's really a, a, a darkness of the mind in the sense that no one's home. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of impressive in a way how much of our life we can live in that way on autopilot, can drive places, we can eat, we can even have conversations, kind of not fully present. And again, this doesn't have to be this intense focus. It can really be this like a, a companion, one um, teacher, Bikunalio, who's done a lot of translating of the ancient texts, um, talks about mindfulness uh, as a companion, as a friend, a good friend. And I think that's a great way to think about it as opposed to this intense focus, oh, I need to narrow, zero in on something, but just, you know, being there being there for our lives, um, just like we would want to be there for a friend. You know, when we, especially when we sense that a friend may, might be struggling, maybe they're struggling with something we can't really do anything about. So it's not about, you know, fixing anyone's problem, but just being there. And we probably all felt that from a friend at some point and just how supportive that is. Just somebody's steady presence, not needing anything from us, not needing us to be different, receptive, caring. And so this is the kind of mindfulness we can bring, awareness we can bring to ourselves and to, to others in our life. But we really practice, we really start with our own experience because it's hard to show up for others in that way if, we, if we're not cultivating that you know, with our own experience. So that's really what meditation is, is just practicing that, you know, having a period of time where we're not, uh, we don't have other duties and responsibilities, we're putting those to one side, and we're just practicing that way of being. But we can practice that 
all day long. Sometimes it will be easier to remember than others. Um, but again, that's the, uh, the benefit of cultivating whole body awareness is it doesn't have to interfere with, you know, things that we do. So I want to read a little bit um, in support of this point about whole body awareness. I want to read a little bit from this um, discourse on mindfulness, the four establishments of mindfulness. So the first, like I said, is the first establishment is mindfulness of the body, and there's different sections of it, and I won't go into all of them, but two of them are mindfulness of postures, mindfulness of activities, and those relate to this point I'm making about whole body awareness and how it can really accompany us. I'll read a few different sections from this discourse just because it's an important discourse and I think um, just makes the point of how this, um, just this simple practice of mindfulness can really lead um, to freedom of heart. So I'll read from a few different sections. So this is from the, the beginning of the discourse. Again, this is uh, in Pali, the Satipatthana Sutta. Sutta means discourse. Satipatthana is establishment of mindfulness. So the Buddha is saying, speaking to the monastics, monks, this is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of dukkha. Dukkha means suffering or stress for the disappearance of dukkha and discontent, for acquiring the true method, for the realization of nibbana. Nibbana means unbinding, release of heart, awakening. Namely, the four satipatthanas, the four establishments of mindfulness. What are the four? Here, monks, in regard to the body, a monk abides contemplating the body, Diligent, clearly knowing, and mindful, free from desire and discontent in regard to the world. In regard to feelings, he abides contemplating feelings, vigilant, clearly knowing, and mindful, free from desires and discontent in regard to the world. In regard to the mind, one abides contemplating the mind, diligent, clearly knowing, and mindful, free from desires and discontent in regard to the world. In regard to dhammas, which is the fourth, which can be translated as mental qualities, but really is um, discerning which mental qualities lead to uh, freedom of heart and which lead to um, the heart being bound up. So in regard to dhammas, one abides contemplating dhammas, diligent, clearly knowing and mindful, free from desires and discontent in regard to the world. So that's sort of the introduction And then there's the four sections on the four different parts. And I'll just read a bit from the the section on mindfulness of the body. So in regard to the... uh, Let me read the postures first. So when walking, one knows I am walking. When standing, one knows I am standing. When sitting, one knows I am sitting. One lying down, one knows I am lying down, or one knows accordingly, however one's body is disposed. And then 
the section on activities. Again, monks, when going forward and returning, one acts clearly knowing. When looking ahead and looking away, one acts clearly knowing. When flexing and extending one's limbs, one acts clearly knowing. When wearing one's robes and carrying one's outer robe and bowl, one acts clearly knowing. When eating, drinking, consuming food, and tasting, one acts clearly knowing. When defecating and urinating, one acts clearly knowing. When walking, standing, sitting, falling asleep, waking up, talking, and keeping silent, one acts clearly knowing. And then there's this section that's repeated throughout the uh, discourse. So this is more general, but I'll read it because it applies to, to all the different um, establishments of mindfulness. In this way, in regard to the body, one abides contemplating the body internally, externally, both internally and externally. And I'll just mention here that there's different interpretations of what that means. Um, some people think that it means our own body and other people's bodies. Um, but I heard an interpretation recently that I, I thought was useful. Even it, it's, it's hard to say for sure what it means, given that it's an ancient discourse. <laughs> but, um, but one interpretation I heard is internally could be more the somatic sense of the body. So as we're sitting here, more internal, you know, the energies in the body. Um, and external is more, you know, our actual nerve endings and the sensations, this feeling of the skin, you know, temperature on the face. So that we're including both in our mindfulness of the body, both more gross, you know, sensations, pressure as we sit, but also the, um, the internal body, you know, the body's feeling agitated or relaxed. That's something we feel internally uh, energized or tired. It's not a physical sensation, you know, it's not sensation of the skin. It's, you know, if we close our eyes, just that sense of having a body is an internal sense, we could say. So that's just a, a note on that. One abides contemplating the nature of arising, of passing away, of both arising and passing away in the body. Mindfulness that there is a body is established in one to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness. And one abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. That too is how in regard to the body, one abides contemplating the body. So there's a lot there in that discourse and I'll just take a little more time to maybe tease out some of those qualities that the Buddha is encouraging. But the first one is just that point I've already made about, you know, the four postures. So however the body is disposed, one knows bodies, that's how the body is. You know, we're sitting, we know we're sitting. We're standing, we know we're standing. And so on. And then with the, with the activities, I think that point is just made, you know, it's meant to be all those different activities, I think, are just meant to point to uh, awareness, mindfulness, and clear knowing whatever we're doing. So whatever we're doing, we want to know that we're doing it. Um, so it's really pointing to this, yeah, this breadth of mindfulness that can really be sustained 
however the body is disposed, the posture, and whatever we happen to be doing. You know, like it says, waking, falling asleep, um, talking, keeping silent. To me, this is such a, a beautiful uh, instruction, you know, that this practice is all-inclusive. Sometimes on retreats, we'll say, we're, we're trying to be aware from the moment we wake up to the moment we fall asleep. And that can sound like a heavy task if we're thinking of it as, you know, this onerous um, activity that requires a lot of effort. But like I was saying in the meditation, if it's just this effort to remember, then it, you know, it, it doesn't take that much effort and it doesn't have to feel like a heavy burden. The word mindfulness, sati in Pali, um, one of its meanings is to remember. So we can use that you know, as an instruction. That's all I need to do is just remember. You know, remember to be present. Remember to be awake. This um, clearly knowing that's mentioned in the section on activities, um, it also has the connotations, the word in, in Pali, sampajanya. Often uh, sati, mindfulness, and sampajanya will be used together. Sati, sampajanya, so something like mindfulness and clear knowing. And uh, so it kind of introduces and adds this element of knowing what we're doing as we're doing it. Uh, and um, the commentaries on this discourse sort of break, break down what that might mean. And, and one of the qualities is um, knowing the suitability, which we could also talk about as knowing the, the context. So this is helpful too, because sometimes we might think of mindfulness again as sort of this narrowing. But, you know, especially in this section... You know, it's really this all-encompassing awareness, you know, of no, when we're moving forward, when we're moving back, when we're looking, when we're reaching, extending our limbs. So it really points to this awareness of context and of suitability, so bringing in wisdom. Maybe I'll read um, this from Saito Tejaniya, who's a Burmese teacher, but I think this really illustrates this point about how, especially with mindfulness of the body, it's really, you know, we're situating ourselves here and now, and it just makes for a, a more, um, we're just more attuned when we're practicing mindfulness of the body in that whole body way, in that contextual way, and it can really support us, you know, just in navigating life and responding to life in an appropriate um, useful way. And so Saito Tejani is a pretty well-known and really wonderful teacher from Burma. Um, and for a lot of his practice, even though now he's a monastic, uh, he practiced as a lay person and practiced right in the middle of a busy marketplace. That was his work. So a lot of his examples are great because they're sort of um, from daily life. He really encourages um, just t talks a lot about daily life practice because so much, you know, even if we can 
meditate sometimes or go on a retreat. So much of our practice is in daily life. So he tells this story about uh, practicing in the market. And to me, this illustrates this suitability, this uh, um, just this ability to respond um, when, when we're practicing whole body awareness. He says, when I was practicing in the market, I noticed that people didn't really pay attention to where they were going because they were absorbed in their thoughts or counting money as they walked. We had a lot of people walking around anxious or lost in thoughts. They kept bumping into me so many times that I got upset. Laughs. I had to keep moving out of their way. There was awareness present as I gently moved over for them. As I kept moving out of people's way, I found myself starting to enjoy giving over that space. When you start to have awareness, you'll see these things. What about smiling? Doesn't that make the other person happy to see that? What's easier on the eyes, a scowling face or a smiling face? So dana, which is the Pali word for generosity or sharing, dana is not just about money. Giving space is dana too. Give what you can, if you can. Of course, all of this depends on the quality of mind. If the mental state is negative, there's nothing you'll want to give. When mental qualities are wholesome, then it's easier to give whenever someone needs or asks for something. So I think that's just one example of uh, just how this whole body awareness, um, yeah, can just really support us, you know, in meeting the moment and responding and um, being present and how it makes room for, you know, like Sayadaw Tejaniya is saying, for wisdom to be present and other wholesome qualities to be present. We might, you know, even consider that in any of our activities, in any of our relationships, anything that we want to be skillful at, that may be a prerequisite is that we're really there in an embodied way. How else would we know how to respond? So just, um, yeah, keep open to this possibility that this kind of mindfulness, this kind of, um, yeah, presence is really functional and supportive. And, um, yeah, just like basic... uh, a basic skill that we can develop right in the middle of our lives. And whatever freedom that we aspire to in our lives, you know, freedom of heart and mind, freedom to um, to be with our experience as it is, to show up for the people in our lives in a beautiful way, in a supportive way, that that will happen or that uh, can be included just in this being grounded, being present with our own body, with our bodily experience, which of course our bodily experience isn't, doesn't stop you know, at our skin boundary because the body is sensitive. You know, Our body includes the senses. So it's, you know, by situating ourselves in our body, we're really situating ourselves in our lives and in our environment with other people. 
maybe to end, I'll just read uh, the conclusion from this book, Bikonalia, who I mentioned earlier. Um, he's a, originally from Germany. Now he lives in Massachusetts at uh, the Berry Center for Buddhist Studies. And he wrote this book, uh, which is really a practical guide to this discourse, the Satipatthana discourse, the establishments of mindfulness. And I'll just read this last paragraph from the book. The four Satipatthanas, establishments of mindfulness, can coalesce into a single mode of practice that in principle can be undertaken in any situation during everyday life, as long as we establish whole body awareness. Based on such grounding and bodily reality, we can become aware of the repercussions of what is happening on the feeling and mental level and in some way arouse insight, such as, for example, by noting the impermanent nature of what is taking place. In this way, daily life experiences and formal meditation can enhance each other and in conjunction lead to balanced and sustained progress along the direct path to realization. So thanks for your kind attention, and uh, yeah, maybe we'll just take some time, see if anyone has any reflections or questions on anything that I've said. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.